DJ and PK, time to talk with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Greg, good morning. Good morning, and I'm glad you let me in with that because we all believe, all of us, in the spirit of radio. <laughs> good work. I like it. So, do you believe in this BYU football team? You feel a big year coming on? Feel a good but not great year coming on? In the words of Gordon Monson, where are you? How are you hanging on? I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good headspace, guys. Uh, I, I, I feel it can be a really good season. I, I, I think last year, BYU did exactly as much as you hoped it would do with the schedule. Uh, that the Cougars had to play and came a yard away from something pretty darn special. But 11-1 and one, uh, was, I, I thought, you know, everything and, and then some you could have hoped last year's team could do. Uh, this year's team may not reach the 11-win plateau, yet still be um, the same kind of caliber and same kind of quality. And you say that having lost, you know, draft picks to the NFL, multiple draft picks to the NFL. But if you have to lose the number two overall pick at quarterback, uh, you're in a pretty good spot with the guys you have back surrounding the quarterbacks competing for the job this fall. The way I look at this season, get your thought on that, that this is very, very important for the progression of the program because this is Coach Sataki's sixth year and BYU, we know, recruiting classes take a while to get to campus and then once they get to campus, it takes some time for them to get into shape to be able to play. But six years is long enough and so they took a giant step last year and you can argue the schedule, but the NFL proved that they took a giant step. So with that in mind, how important do you think that that this season is in terms of establishing a program? Well, not only is it important, but I think it's, it's very illustrative that you have a similar situation starting year six that you had in year one. And so you can make a real kind of, um, you know, a real strong measurement from, from year one to year six by, by how the season begins. Um, back in 2016, Kalani's first year, they opened against Arizona uh, on a neutral field in NFL Stadium, won that game, uh, came back and played Utah in their second game. This year, they have the same situation. They go to Vegas, play Arizona in the Raiders Stadium. They're expected to win that game. They won the game in 2016. Then you come back and you play Utah. And that, to me, becomes the, the, the true barometer as to where this team is from then to now, is, is presuming you have success in the opener, how do you bounce back against the team that has been your nemesis for a decade plus? And, and how much more competitive are you? Can you finally break the streak? It, it'll say a lot about the program in how the seasons begin. And furthermore, uh, back in 2016, having beaten Arizona, lost to Utah, they played a Pac-12 team in their next game and lost that game and then lost the next game. And there they were one and three in Kalani's first four games and then rebounded well for a nine-win season. Now, hopefully, the same not need to re- the same need to rebound isn't there this time around. But you know, I, I think you can say if there's progress made, and there has been progress made, BYU is not going to be one and three through four games this year. So, as Kalani tries to build a uh, bigger, longer, more athletic roster, what position group do you think is most likely to dominate and give them an edge this year? Well, I. 
I think the tight end is as good as it's been. Uh, even, even if you just account for the top two guys right now, uh, I think Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker is, are as dynamic a tight end duo as BYU's had in many, many years. And then when you counter that with the fact that uh, the receiving core is essentially back from last year, minus Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney was still a guy that led the team in, in yards per reception, yards per target, target, a good downfield target. Neil Pau is, is, is size and speed and catchability. I, I don't think, again, having lost Zach Wilson, lost to Dax Milne, you're not really starting over at either quarterback or wide receiver. And so between tight end and wide receiver with Romney and Pau, Cosper was, was used liberally last year for his role. The Nakua, the, uh, the, the Nakua brothers entered the scene. Chris Jackson and Keanu Hill are still in the mix. Uh, they're deep enough and good enough to, to surround the quarterback with, with all the tools he needs to succeed. And then you're not even talking about a thousand yard running back and the guys behind him, uh, in the backfield. So I, I guess I'm saying it shows up all over the offense right now, uh, around the quarterback and the guys will be handing it off to and throwing it to. And you, you do lose a draft pick on the offensive line. They're, they're retooling a little bit there, but I really think guys, they feel they've got six guys to play five up front and feel really good about maybe a seventh right now offensive lineman. And, and if, if, if health can, can be with them on the O-line, I, I can't see them dropping a ton from last year's productivity up front. Then how about on the other side, what's your level of expectation and confidence? Well, certainly nationally, you know, the attention is going to BYU's offense. I mean, you know, if you want to use, you know, watch lists as a, as a barometer, and that's tough to do because everybody gets on a watch list these days, right? Uh, essentially, the only, the only guy garnering any heat defensively right now is Peyton Wilgar, and for good reasons. But I'm fairly confident that by the end of the year, uh, you know, Peyton Wilgar won't be the only standout on this BYU defense. So I, I, th- I think the versatility and strength in numbers on the D-line might take away from IDing any one particular player as a stud, but Tyler Batty certainly has an opportunity to be that guy up front. He was, I think he was at three sacks through four games last year. He only played four games and still ended up as one of BYU's top uh, pressure and hurry and, and, uh, and havoc guys last year. So a healthy season for Tyler Batty could mean a special season on the D line. The linebacking core, I think has been properly ID'd as a real strength of this team. But uh, I, I think Keenan Ellis and D'Angelo Mandel are a really nice pair of starting corners uh, for BYU as well. So they're not getting a lot of attention. I think it's been more slow and steady than spectacular, maybe numerically, for Coach Sitake's defense and Coach uh, uh, Tuiaki's defense. But, uh, you know, they, they can ramp it up when they have to. I think they choose a lot of times not to, but you can't argue with the results. I mean, BYU was as good as any team in the country last year, guys, at preventing the big play. Now, you could argue that last year's opponents weren't necessarily the, the, the laundry list of big playmakers, but there were good, you know, there, there were at least challenges last year that were met adequately. And that's been a real strength of BYU is not letting a lot of big plays and big yards per play, chunk plays, explosive plays beat you. There's a lot made of Power 5 teams on BYU's schedule, but all Power 5 teams are not created equal, and BYU has shown that they are pretty good at handling the bottom of the Power 5 and decent against the middle of the Power 5. So I guess that leads to question, who is truly elite and going to provide a challenge, and which of these Power 5 teams do you think BYU is going to have an upper hand on? Well, I, I, I think, uh, obviously, the, the top three picks in the Pac-12 South are the ones that are projected to give BYU the most trouble. Uh, you know, to me, Utah is tougher than USC just because it's Utah, and it has been for years. Uh, it's, it's the hurdle BYU has had a real tough time confronting. And, and the, 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 the problem with the Utah 
series the way it's gone isn't just that you lose all these games. It's that you essentially you've, you've lost in, in every possible way. Uh, you've lost when turning it over. You've lost when not turning it over. You've lost when trailing early. You've lost with big leads. You, you've really you, you've not been able to identify the one thing that if we do this right, we can beat this team we haven't beaten forever because it's happened in every possible way. So to me, Utah is still right at the top. Uh, USC may be ranked higher, thought of higher, but Utah is still uh, you know the, the, the toughest team BYU will play. Uh, Utah, USC, Arizona State, I, I think it's okay to say one, two, three, uh, the, the three toughest teams of the P5s. Uh, you know, all, all P5s not being created equal. You get a couple of bottom-dweller picks, at least, in Washington State and Arizona. And, and then you get kind of middle-of-the-pack Big 12 and Baylor. And then Virginia could be a middle-of-the-pack in, in the ACC. So you're kind of hitting all – you're hitting, you know, you know, kind of the elite teams in their league, kind of bottom-dwellers in their league, and then middle-packers in their league. So – there's really a kind of a random sampling for BYU to see, you know, where they should be. You've got games you're expected to lose, games you're really expected to win, and then I think toss-ups right in the middle. And so it, it could go at, you know, any way with those seven P5s this year, with the real strength at the top being being Utah. Stepping away from this season, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving to the SEC, we know that that just creates a whole lot of uncertainty. Uh, what do you think needs to happen for BYU as these things, not just this move from the 12 to the SEC, but obviously there's going to be fallout and domino effects. So what do you think BYU needs to do to make sure that it's in a good spot when this particular set of circumstances settles, even if it's three or four years, five years down the road? Well, I actually think that, that the groundwork's been laid, PK. I think BYU's done what it has to do to be in a good spot. And, and not that they lack initiative or ambition in this situation, but they can kind of afford to let some things happen around them and, and see where the best opportunities present themselves when, when the dust settles again. I, I think they've proven through independence that it's, it's maybe more sustainable than maybe some imagined. Um, you can still be an independent like BYU. You can still have your entire P5 schedule crumble around you you can still find a way to be an 11-win team in a 12-win pandemic season and get back on the national radar. I, I think games like the, the one they'll play in Las Vegas uh, is another good opportunity for BYU to not you know, show, but perhaps remind some people of where they are kind of in a national landscape in terms of the ability to either attract eyeballs or fill seats away from their home stadium, home city, and home state. Uh, I think BYU is going to uh, you know, dominate the crowd composition down in Las Vegas. Um, uh, you know, you know commissioner, uh, you know, conferences and networks will continue to take notice of, of what BYU can do uh, on a national setting. And and I think you know, you know, parenthetically, uh, from from venue uh, improvements, facilities to internal programs uh, to things BYU's done over the last just five years, I think all show that the Cougars are positioning themselves as a program. Uh, you know, to be highly considered if somebody chooses to reconfigure, you know, their their particular group here in the next few years. I, I just think that, you know, you know, things like the the Learfield Directors Cup, which kind of take a look at where you are as an overall program, continue to show, you know, that BYU is not a one trick pony and can be nationally consistent in a variety of sports. And I think the things that that tend to hang people up a little bit about BYU are, are the other things. Uh, that really aren't athletics related. And I think if, if anyone were to make a purely, you know, pragmatic, pragmatic and even academic decision on BYU, um, you know, it, it's, it's just this side of a no brainer as to what kind of value they might bring, uh, you know, to a conference, no matter what, you know, grouping we're talking about moving forward, whether it's truly, 
just you know P5 conferences or whether it's new imaginations of college football altogether. Greg Rubel joining us, BYU Cougar play-by-play voice. You know, you've been pretty clear about the rivalry on the field, and we're going to play something for you here in a second from uh, Kyle Whittingham. But before we do that, I'm, I'm curious about where you think the rivalry is as far as the emotion uh, between the fans and in the fan base. You know, when it was the last game of the season, that just lends itself to this huge buildup. And now no matter what happens, well, there's going to be 10 more games afterwards. It, it can't be the ultimate thing when there's still 10 games to go. So aside from the on-field stuff, how do you think the rivalry exists in the minds of you know, the fans and the players and all of that? It still feels pretty healthy, and I think I think too you have to look also to the emphasis the particular programs you know place on the game, and that's where I think where it's really told. And I think it's still as highly emphasized as ever, um, and 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 that's important to me. And and you know Utah, I, I think you know can can rightfully no matter how things are going at other points in their schedule, you know point to the fact that that the in-state rivalry has has gone their way for a decade plus and that and that's significant and and BYU conversely uh, without a championship to play for and and ideally rankings to strive for still has to look at getting back in the rivalry as something that that indicates, you know, progress and success and they haven't had it for a long long time. And so uh, I think that would mean a lot, you know, for BYU to get you know, to swing it back the other way or at least attempt to start to swing it back the other way. We've seen over time, guys, as you know, that these things have been, you know, somewhat cyclical to the extreme. This is about at the outside edge of where either team can have a win streak at nine or ten games. It rarely gets beyond that. And and so um, I, I'm sure the Cougar fans are hoping that the cyclical nature of it, even though it's been stretched out over a decade plus, begins to come back into equilibrium from a BYU standpoint. All right, here's the bite from uh, Kyle Whittingham doing an interview. Listen, and uh, then your reaction. Can you tell us three nice things about your rival? Uh, who's our rival? We got rivals in conference. We got rivals out of conference. Uh, you you know, doggone well. I'm talking about BYU. Oh, that, uh, the in-state game. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Uh, well, it's it, the dynamic has changed so much. Really? Yeah, because uh, you know they're no longer in the same conference. We were in the same conference for ever, you know, right. 60, 70, 80 years. I can't remember what it was, but but uh, so it's changed, and and we've started to develop a, a little bit of a rivalry with uh, USC, Colorado, mm-hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just been some some things that are starting to uh, materialize inside the Pac-12, and so uh, that's why I asked that question. But I get you, Coach. But uh, yeah, let's skip to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so I because uh, I don't know how to address it i don't know which way to go with it thoughts well i would say kyle's being coy i think i think a little bit of a rivalry is accurate compared to the 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 decades of history against byu and you know i mean it's a real thing i mean kyle cares about not only beating byu but never having lost to byu in more than a decade and and you know whether it's countdown clocks in the facility or otherwise it matters always has and, and always will and so, again, I think there's a level of coyness there, but that's okay. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's okay for them to, um, to project toward the Pac-12 and say this is, you know, we've kind of left certain components of our, of our past behind and are, and are aiming in this direction. That's okay, and that's, and that's reasonable, and that's logical, and, and I get it. But uh, BYU is still BYU to the Utes, and I think uh, it'll always be that way. You think it's the biggest game on BYU's schedule? I think a lot within that program, believe it is. Yeah, fair enough. Because, because, because I think 
they kind of drew a line in the sand uh, more than a decade ago. And so far that line has stayed intact. And, and, and so with every year that, 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 you know, that that belief that we're not going to lose these guys again for every year that that extends, I think it continues to, to matter and mean more to that extent that we haven't, you know, we're not going to lose again and they haven't lost again, that, 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 that kind of thing. What level of confidence do you think the fan base has in Kalani to pull off a big season or big seasons when they take a bigger view going forward? Uh, I'm... Say it again. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what level you think, and and the reason is that the follow up to this is, um, you know, how much faith does the football administration have above him, the athletic department administration above him, and the leadership above Tom have in Kalani? And I'm curious how much the fan base has in Kalani if they're aligned, if they're on the same plane. Oh God, you know, I'm I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm only speculating as to what the highest of higher ups believe, but, but how, how could you not be pleased with not only um, the success of the programs in terms of wins and losses, um, you know, the, the national image that BYU projects and the Kalani projects, um, the affability that, that naturally you get with Kalani, um, his ability to, to interact with and express appreciation for the fan base. I think fans love Kalani. I do. I, 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 I think media love Kalani. I, I, would, I would be hard-pressed to think of somebody that doesn't think favorably and highly of, of Kalani. Um, I, I think he is, in a lot of ways, a reflection of his mentor and his head coach, Lavelle Edwards, in, in many ways. They're not identical personalities by any stretch, but there are a lot of components of each of those gentlemen that I think uh, reflect very well uh, with one another. And uh, again, the wins are there. You have one dip season in five years when you're trying to rebuild and figure out coaching personnel. That's clearly forgivable. I I think with what they were able to do with last year's season, how they put people in the NFL, uh, the general trajectory of the program, how it looks, how it feels, how it sounds on game day, I I, I think BYU is in as positive a spot as they could hope to be in. And, And the guy leading it, to me, is the right guy at the right time. And as you can tell, I mean, I, I, I clearly am a big fan of Kalani myself personally. I've had enough interactions with him since his playing days through now working with him as a broadcaster and him being the cat coach that uh, just makes my job so easy. Um, I, I, I know that fans lo- love him for a lot of good and genuine and real reasons, and I'm just so glad that uh, you know he is directing this program right now that I get to cover I'm fascinated with what Mark Pope has done because I think one of the things that hampered BYU basketball as they got into the West Coast Conference is they would have guys that they would invest in and then they would transfer out. Dave Rose called them program guys. We saw a number of guys that by the time they got to be junior and seniors had made significant contributions to the program in large part because they stuck it out, understand what, understood what was going on with the system and everything. And and so now it's a little bit different with uh, guys transferring and then the transfer portal bringing all these guys in for one or two years. And it's really interesting to see how he puts together a roster and what they're doing. And this year might be the most interesting. He's only been there a couple of years, obviously. But this year might be the most interesting as far as it goes. How do you think, or what do you think about the way that he is going about constructing a roster? Because it seems like every year we don't really know until August who's actually going to be on the team. 
I think it's awesome because he proves there's more than, than one way to go about roster construction and still get, and still get good results. I mean, in two seasons, uh, you know, coming in in his first two seasons, he had two NCAA tournament teams. And, and he did it by having to go out, cast kind of a wide net, and, and bring people in that maybe, uh, you know, might not have otherwise considered BYU. And so all credit to Mark Pope for going out and getting those guys, showing that kind of initiative. Um, because there's, there's a blend. You know, there's a blend of guys who are local, who went to high school locally and are now in their second, third, fourth year in the program. And then there are all these other kinds of guys that, again, get brought in by the wide net of Mark Pope. And that wide net philosophy has already paid dividends through two seasons with two NCAA tournament caliber teams. And, and you know, from that first year to the second, even though the first year you didn't get to play in the tournament because of COVID, you know, to, not, you know, to have a COVID year, a pandemic year, lose people like, like TJ Haas and Yoli Childs and Jake Toulson and have to go back and find guys during a pandemic to get you back to the NCAA tournament, I'm not sure enough people realize just how much credit Mark and his staff should get for last year. And, and then and having that obviously be kind of an indicator of how things will be. He will cast, uh, he will go far and wide uh, to, to get players that he thinks fit BYU and help his program and have them blend and create chemistry and really buy into best locker room in America and get better every day. And I see it day by day with this guy. It's, it's real and it's authentic and it, and it helps uh, these guys believe in themselves. And I couldn't be more um, uh, impressed by what he's done through two years in the most difficult and trying of circumstances, taking over for an all-time great in Dave Rose. Uh, again, there, there, there's so much you'd have to do well to get the, the kind of success Mark has gotten in two years in a pandemic era, and he's done it. He and the staff and the players you know, deserve, of course, the lion's share of the credit. But again, we're going to see it. You, know, you lose Brandon Averitt, you lose Matt Harms, guys who might have, could have returned, chose to go elsewhere. How do you fill those spots? And, you know, for right now, it looks like he's filled them well. Uh, guys like Joe Lenardi says, right now, that's another NCAA tournament team I see. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But it's going to be a fun, fun team to watch. And, and uh, Alex Barcelo being back is massive, as we all know. I mean, that's just, it, it means so much to be able to lean on that anchor uh, for this program this year. So you think that the transfer portal can sustain the basketball program in the long run, or do you think that the way basketball has gone, you have no choice? The transfer portal is how most teams are going to create teams. Yeah, everyone's going to have to play the game. And, of course, at BYU, you can't just go after everybody, but you can be, uh, I think, a little bit particular while at the same time being ambitious. And it's just the way it's going to be. And it won't be all transfers all the time. And, again, you can see right now there's a decent blend but I get a sense that Mark and his guys have a, have a pretty good feel. And not only that, they will be able to go and explore uh, portal possibilities in the future with a really strong kind of portfolio and resume and proving ground behind them saying, yeah, sure, there's a guy that maybe was at one or two programs before, but look what happened and came in his one or two years at BYU. Look at the good things that can happen, and, and they did happen. And so I, I, I think it's, it's, it's an indicator of a formula that has already shown signs of success and, and can ideally continue to be successful for BYU. Greg, as always, good to talk to you, and uh, everything will start ramping up here for you shortly. It'll be nonstop. As always, gentlemen, it is my pleasure. Uh, you work with the great Yacht, and, and seeing Jake on, on a relatively, if not daily, weekly basis in Provo uh, is, is a joy, and uh, you guys have a good one, as you know. And you guys are good ones, uh, as everyone knows, and uh, always good to be with you. Greg Rubel. 
play-by-play voice of the BYU Cougars. When we come back, we get you up to speed on everything you missed during this show. Stay with us.